Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. I am your host, Eric Anthonson. Today's guest on the show is Mike Pedigo. He's already on the line. Before we jump into the show, a couple quick notes. Uh, huge thanks to Big Wins for hooking up gear for me to test. Um, got Lift 170 I'm testing, the Kuma 1300 LOL. Um, rumor has it I have the Kijara, or however you pronounce that thing, headed my way to test uh, soon from Big Wins. So um, support Big Wins um, because they are supporting the show. You get a 10% discount off of Takuma gear there. Um, and we'll be talking about some experiences I've had on the uh, 1300 during the show today. Um, and yeah, I guess that's it. Let's just jump into the show then. Mike, how you doing, man? Yo, so good to be here again. Talk about foiling for a while. Yeah, dude. Me too. We've been meaning to catch up for a while, so I figured why not just do it on the podcast because I feel like it's going to be a lot of stuff that people would be interested in. Yeah, we always have podcast-worthy phone calls, so may as well. I know. The last couple, I've just wished that we recorded them because um, we uh, would have dug it. But um, first show, if you haven't listened to the first show with Mike, was probably fan favorite. Um, it's got a ton of listens. I know that I've received a massive amount of feedback from it. And I think it's because you and I have spent so much time um, talking, surfing together, you know, over the last couple of years, year and a half or whatever, that uh, we know where we're both at. And so we don't have to, you know, go through a lot of minutiae. We just kind of get into all the yeah, for detail sure. of it, right? Yeah. So, um, so what's new? What have you been doing? Man, I've been definitely making some boards lately. Um, enjoying that, experimenting a little bit. Um, still, still messing with tails, messing with one right now. I'm super excited to try. Um, got a got the new NL160 from GoFoil. Been playing with that. Um, yeah, man, just getting out as much as I can. That's that's what's going on here. Right on. <clears throat> I have been riding one of your boards. Um, Mike just made me a four, four by what? 19, 18, eight, 18 and a half, eight, four, four, 18 and a half, probably 30 liters, something like that. Um, and I don't want to get into the construction that you use because I know that you're keeping some of that secret, but I have to say that it is the lightest, strongest board that I've felt. And so if you guys have been following the podcast for a long time, you know that I have been on a double stringer, a little bit heavier type of um, <clears throat> kind of mode lately or, you know, back a few months. And what I've realized is that for me, stiffness is paramount. If the board has any flex whatsoever, I don't like it and I just lose so much drive. Stiffness is first for me. I'll sacrifice a pound, a pound and a half to have a board that's rock solid. But, I completely agree for the record. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm the same boat. Yeah. But if you can get a board that is that stiff and light, it's better. Yep. And that's, and that's the challenge is finding that, that, um, you know, where you can put both of those into a board and have the best of both worlds without sacrificing on one end, you know? Right. So how do we have this conversation right now? Because I'm experimenting with a bunch of stuff that I don't know if I want to talk about yet either. Cause I just made and glassed a board. I've got a new shape that it's really good. I'm super psyched yeah. on it. And I mean, I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind going into a little bit of detail about 
some of the stuff I'm experimenting with, you know? Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've been messing with different density foams a lot. So, you know, I've done one pound, 1.5, your board's 1.5 pound. Um, I just ordered a block of 1.25 right now, which I'm shape currently shaping a, um, three boards out of. And so, so far I really like that density too. Let me explain um, something for everybody listening. Mike is super old school. Mike is buying, you know, huge blocks of foam, hot wiring all of his own blanks. He's another level from where I'm at. I, I order my blanks up from Marco Foam. I shape on the computer, but Mike's old school, hand shapes everything, orders, you know, cuts his own foam. Um, he's a craftsman for sure. Yeah, I need to get I need to get a little bit more on your level as far as the computer goes because everybody always wants to talk volume with me and I have no clue what volumes my boards are because I'm shaping them totally by hand, you know. You should start making uh, it up, man. No one knows. No one cares really. It's just about <laughs> how the board performs. And volume for foil boards, what I'm learning is that it's not necessarily relevant because the volume, except for your paddle out, like when you're paddling out, volume really matters matters. But as soon as you're paddling into a wave, um your volume is immediately offset by lift. So yeah, I don't, I don't know how relevant it is in some surface area seems to be more relevant to me than volume. Yeah. I mean, I think you, I think you need enough volume to where you feel some pressure on your chest when you're paddling, you know what I mean? So, so that you can actually control your paddle. Cause I've tried to paddle my toe boards, which are like less than two inches thick. Right. Those are probably, and I have, 20. I have actually paddled into waves on that. Right. Um, no, they're like, they're like 18 and a half wide. No, I meant liters. So my guess is they're probably about 20 liters. Oh yeah. I have absolutely no clue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are awkward to paddle because they, they just have so little buoyancy that you don't have the pressure on your chest when you're paddling. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you don't have as much control over your paddle. Having said that I have paddled into waves on that successfully. And you know, it's kind of impressive what you can get away with. When I was shaping your last board, Eric, I, when it was on the stand, I was looking at it. I'm like, dude, this this looks like a board for for Damo, you know, your son, like somebody that's a buck, I don't know, a buck ten or whatever he weighs, you know, seventy pounds. And, uh, oh yeah, even less. Yeah, it looked to me, it genuinely looked like a Grom foil board. But when I got on it, I, I caught, I was catching waves, no problem. And since then, I've been like, well, I'm obviously gonna have to make myself one of these now. So one of the boards in my uh, in the uh, mix right now is is your t is the template that we use for your board because I want one too. Um, so what did you call that one? It was some funny name uh, making fun it, of me. The EA Pro model. Oh, it's not that bad. Uh, I should have called it the Antonson Eagle Pro. Yeah, Mike started a foil group in Florida and a Facebook group and took the worst picture of me <laughs> foiling ever. And made it the cover and he won't fuck he won't change it sorry i don't cuss on the show but he won't change it, <laughs> it always... well, let me give a little hang on <laughs> let me give a little bit more background on why that happened so i started this facebook group to you know do my part to connect to connect all the local foilers and, like and what did you to, do what did you put you on, know, the, have a on the screen right away <laughs> it was the mike I, I it was the mike pedigo okay. support group <laughs> yeah. i put the only foil picture i happen to have on my computer which was me on the on the cover page you know i'm just trying to set this thing up and get it going <laughs> so eric immediately starts giving me a bunch of crap about it and like oh mike pettigo oh i can make my own facebook foil page and put my picture on it so that's when i dug through and found a picture of eric 
and it will not come off of the cover photo now. <laughs> and it's the worst picture ever. My arms are, I'm like doing a connection turn and losing my balance. My arms are splayed back. Full eagle mode, bro. Yeah. It's epic. The Antonson eagle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, man, go back to construction. We kind of lost that thread, but it's important. And, and I've yeah, got some thoughts yeah. there. So I've, I've, um, like I said, I've been playing with the different densities, anywhere from one, one pound to 1.5. I think they all have their pros and cons. Um, but, uh, lately I've been leaning more towards 1.5 or 1.25. I think one pound is, it's so light. It's, it's hard to shape. I won't, I won't say hard to shape. It's annoying to shape. And I don't, I don't tend to trust it as much. I feel like I have to Does compensate it flake on though. you. Yeah, yeah, kind of the beads will kind of come apart, especially when you're yep. when you're shaping rails and stuff. I mean, yep. um, I used to do a lot know, of stand-ups with, with one pound. I used to call it ghost foam. I used to do like um, a lot of stand-ups with the with the one pound foam, and they were just such a pain. And I broke a yeah. lot of them. I just that foam. Right. I ended up going back to I guess one point two five on a lot of the stand-ups. Yeah. So I mean, with the one with the one pound, the problem is I feel like I'm I have to compensate so much with the amount of glass I'm putting on that I don't really think I benefit from the weight you know, from the, uh, from the ghostiness of the foam, you know? Right. <clears throat> so, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's workable, but I, I definitely am landing more on the one, two, five and the 1.5. And you're doing all carbon now. Yeah. All carbon, um, throwing some Enegra in the mix on this batch to see if I can keep the, still keep the weight like six or under. And um, I just weighed, I just weighed my board I'm making for myself the four four before the hot coats, all the boxes are in and everything, and it's still under five pounds. So I think I'm probably going to be able to by the time I put the hot coat on and sand it, I'm probably still going to be under six, which is awesome to have with carbon and Enegra. So yep, yeah, Enegra is really impressive. I um, it's it it has very little stiffness quality to it that's that's where the carbon comes in for the stiffness but the enegra makes it so ding proof it's creepy do you wrap base layer carbon or enegra uh what do you mean base layer carbon well like what's what goes on the foam and then what's your so, top level layer yeah so um like on the bottom of this board i'm talking about i did one layer of two ounce enegra and then one layer of six ounce carbon was well, 5.8 ounce. I call it six ounce um, over the top of that. Um, and I don't do them separate steps. That's one, one step. Um, you have to be careful with the negra though, because you cannot sand this stuff. If you try to sand it, it's, it's like a, a nightmare of a, you get like this bird's nest effect. It's horrible. So you have to be careful about how you glass with it and you have to make plans that you are never going to actually sand the negra. Yeah. I did um, back in the stand up days. I, I, I did a whole test series of Anegra and ended up hating it. The flex characteristics of the board were terrible. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's there's no stiffness quality to the Anegra, but it's, right. the way it supports the carbon makes it to where the carbon is less likely to break. Yep. You know, like you're 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 not going to have the like critical failure where the carbon completely splits into the foam if there's Anegra backing it. It just disperses that load so well. So, um, and it's super light. I mean, it's two ounces. You know, so. I'm able to, depending on the density foam I use, I'm able to get away with it and still have a board that's six or under. So I'm I'm kind of stoked on the combo. It makes it a little more pricey. A is not cheap, but 
um, I think it's worth it, man. You know, same thing with carbon. It's stuff's expensive, but you you can't. There's there's nothing else that has the stiffness characteristics of carbon. When and when that's so important, like how do I justify not not using it at least on my personal boards? You know, I want I want that the best I can get. That's it. Yeah. Um, in my opinion. <clears throat> well, in the board that I'm riding right now, I love it. Is I would say probably my favorite board that I've ridden. It's funny because the two boards that I'm riding right now, which are your 4.4 and the Element 115, my new design, are my two favorite boards. And it's going to be interesting to see how they shake out because they're super different shapes um, and glassed very differently too. Like the way that I glassed mine, I still like stringer structure, but I'm playing with single stringer with um, kind of like a, a top plate that that holds all the structure of the board all of the the base plate of the mast to the board and and disperses spreads the um the force out over the stringer and it seems to work i'm two sessions in i didn't know if i was going to break the board right away because it is glassed incredibly light i'm under five pounds and (laughs) the majority of the weight is in the tail which is a really weird feel like um I'm going to post some video from this. We just scored. I'm up north right now. And yesterday, two days ago, Monday, there was a like three second, 14 or three, three feet, 14 second swell um, at this point break that I surf. And it was just unreal. But I was getting a lot of forward pitching moment on the Takuma with the tail that I was riding. I, I started off with my tail and then I switched to Kane's tail. And on both, it had the same forward pitching moment. So I'm not sure if that's an artifact of how light the board is because I've never ridden a board that feels that light, how, how little swing weight it had. Um, so I'm not sure if it came from that or just because with a 14 second period swell, we're usually surfing, you know, like eight and nine second periods. You're just going a lot faster. And I don't know if it was yeah. because of that. So I didn't have time to go in. That's, and, what I, and that's what I think it was. I think it was the the swell energy probably, but yeah, I, that would be my guess. That's what I think yeah. too, but it's going to be interesting. I need about, I don't know, my guess is three or four more sessions on that board to really understand um, if I like it being that light because it just doesn't feel like there's anything in front of you. It just feels like you're just directly on top of the foil, um, Right. but I didn't break it. I thought I was going to break right away and I didn't break it. So that's, that's pretty a good cool. sign. Yeah, man. That's a good sign. Yeah. I, it's the, the Ford pitching thing. I was running into that the other day too. And I, I kind of feel like, and, you know, maybe somebody that's ridden a ton of other foils and, you know, a lot of different size surf could, could, could shed a little more light on this, but it's from my experience, I feel like every foil at some point in speed will get a, a, a Ford pitching. Yep. You know, like I have yet to, to ride a foil that is perfectly balanced throughout a huge speed range, you know? Right. Um, I just got yeah. the book, The Theory of Wing Sections, I think foil sections. Um, and I've been diving in and trying to understand the math on that. Um, there's a book There's a book on, on foils? It's for uh, airfoils, but it all yeah. applies. It's just a different yeah. density. So like as a, all your equations for lift, drag, and all that have a density coefficient. And so yeah. for water, you know, it's just, I think it's 30x higher than air or something like that. So... Um, you have to calculate all that. Um, but yeah, the forward pitching moment, send me that that link later. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a little above my head. I feel like I need to have like sit down with Kane for a couple hours and have him explain some of that stuff to me, but 
I'm getting it. Awesome. Um, yeah, the forward pitching moment thing, it's tough because, you know, the, it was really affecting me in big connections. So where I'm used to being able to lay into a big connection or not, you know, a connection on a smaller wave, um, as I was connecting through the turn, as you're accelerating, I had to pull up on so many turns because I was just losing the nose. And so if I kept in the turn, I would have, I would have bogged the turn and blew it blown away. Um, and that's frustrating, man. Cause you, you see the section coming and you want to smash it. And then you're, uh, you know, Adam Bennett's would be a great guy to talk to about this because he's doing he connections and he's supposed to be coming on soon. So I'll, I'll bring that up. And he's, he's on some proper waves, like legit waves right. the last few videos he's dropped. And I look, I actually watch those videos and I, I look for those, those moments where I feel like I would be getting that effect. And I don't know if he, maybe he knows it's coming and he's compensating for it so well, yep. you know, to where you can't see it, but it doesn't seem like he's getting a ton of that. He's also riding really small wings too, but right. Um, yeah. He also yeah, does effect. those grabs. He told me on one of the first podcasts that he does the grab to hold the nose up. So weird. Yeah. yeah. I do remember that. Every time I try that, it, I don't know, it doesn't seem to work out quite as well, but, <laughs> but I'm not out of bed. So, um, yeah. yeah, we don't have access to that type of surf. That too. Yeah. That too. Uh, tell me about the NL. The thing looks Yeah, man. So, interesting. um, I just got the GoFoil NL 160. And uh, my buddy Dave Slimp got the NL220, and I'm pretty blown away so far. I don't have a ton of sessions on on both of them yet, but uh, we towed with the 220 on our shoals a couple weeks ago, and um, and I've been in the in the lineup with the 160 a couple times, and I've winged with both of them. And dude, they are they are really really fast wings. Um, the glide, it's like the 220, you know, so far from breaking, you know, like, I mean, on foils, we're all, we're always, we've always been able to do that, but this one takes it to a next level, which that's actually where the name NL comes from. And I didn't actually mean to throw it in there like that, but it was just, it was, it was pretty perfect. Um, yeah, so the glide's insane. The speed—they both pump really, really well. Um, it's definitely not a wing that I would like. I feel like if I started on that wing, I wouldn't have been able to appreciate it for sure. Like, especially with the pumping, like you definitely have to pull out with some speed. And if you do, maintaining the speed is is really easy on these wings because they have so little drag. But um, but you, there's definitely a different cadence and a special feel to pumping them. How does it feel compared to the 140 and you've ridden the 1300? Like, kind of yeah. compare and con contrast those wings. Well, it's, uh, I would say the 160 is about as surfy as the 140 as far as the tightness of the turns and stuff like that. But it definitely pumps faster than the 140, it glides better than the 140. Um, as far as the Takuma goes, comparing to the 1300. Um, I would say the 160 and the and the Takuma are pretty pretty close as far as like the size and the lift and the speed that you can get out of them. Um, the Takuma I noticed does better with 
the lower speed pumping than the NL does, um, which is cool because it, I would say that the Takuma is just as fast as the NL 160, but you have the, a better low end. Um, so that's nice. They both turn like crazy. And one thing I noticed with the NLs and the Takuma recently that I cannot achieve with the GL series is how well they handle breaching. Yeah. And I agree. That, that I think, you know, like I said, the 160 in, in comparison to the 140, they both surf similarly, you know, and able to, to the tightness of the turns and how, how hard I can lean into it. It's pretty similar. But the NL has the one huge advantage of handling breached wingtips so well. Like I can throw the wingtip out of the water and it just it, it just recovers better. With the GLs, it's like if I throw the wingtip too far out of the water, it's over. Like it's super over. Yeah. And I felt like that with the Takuma too. You know, if you go back and watch all your the videos you posted recently, you can see those wingtips coming out of the water, and it's like you don't even notice. Like, yeah. I was breaking down. You just push it through. Yeah, I was breaking down video from Monday and. There were, I mean, lots of breaches and I didn't, I didn't notice. And I had one where I basically almost rode the whole wing out of the water. Um, and I knew I was high on the mast, but at any other wing and I was going over for sure. And it, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't phase it. You can see like, you can actually see the water, uh, the, the laminar flow, uh, going over top of the wing and swelling like the, uh, like changing the surface of the water yeah yeah unreal right yeah unreal. i don't know what i don't know what it is that makes a wing i wish i could understand that more or find out how i can you know research into that and figure out what it is but i don't know i don't know what makes a wing able to do that and some you know some wings able to do that and some wings just can't i have i have a and theory um hit me i think that raked tips help in keeping ventilation from traveling along the leading edge of the foil. So if you think about it, when all the videos where someone breaches a wing tip and you see the ventilation travel along the, the, the leading edge, mm -hmm. um, if you have enough rake and the Takuma has a pretty good amount of rake at the tips, I think it's really difficult for that ventilation to travel forward along the water flow. I can see that, you know, yeah. and, and something like the 190, like the unifoil 190, if I just breach just the tip, it's fine. Um, but as soon as I breach more than the tip, cause that the front, the, the leading edge of that is actually a pretty flat section. Um, section is not the right term, but it's, um, the outline profile is pretty flat. Um, then it's unrecoverable. The same holds true. I think for <laughs> the, like the, the lift 170. I can get away with a lot more breaching than unifoil, but those tips are very raked as well. And that's what made me have that, you know, kind right. of draw that parallel was that, you know, why does the lift handle breach a little bit better than the uni? And I think it has to do with that rake. Right. Let me, I got another theory, I, I, you know, that to add with that, I've, I've noticed just in kind of, analyzing the two wings like the 140 and the nl together i feel like the nl has you know a pretty neutral lift foil to uh, at the at the wingtips you know there's not like the wingtips don't really generate much lift right they're they're kind of just there to like keep the laminar flow you know what i mean sure. and i think um, i wonder if that has something to do with it so when you breach a wingtip out of the water 
and the section of the foil that you're in that's out of the water is, you know, or, or right at the water line is a pretty neutral foil as far as lift goes. I wonder if that has something to do with keeping the, the ventilation down. I don't know if it would help keep the ventilation down. I'm trying to figure that out, but I do think that it would, you know, there's two things that happen when you breach a tip and one is the loss of lift from that. And so like on say the stealth 200, which is really easy to breach, like you can breach the stealth 200 and like I rarely fall, but what does happen is you lose lift. So on it's a dihedral wing and on a dihedral wing, when you're in a turn, your outside uh, part of the wing. So like the, uh, uh, like the, it will be your toe side. If you're doing a heel side turn, the toe side of the wing is going to be at a different angle than the heel side because the dihedral yeah. is like the V, right? So you're getting a lot of vertical lift from the heel side and you're getting a lot of lateral lift pushing you into the turn. So what happens when I breach on say the, uh, the MFC does the same thing because that's another dihedral wing. But when you breach on a dihedral wing, I, you lose the lateral flow. So the foil comes right back underneath you. So your turn will flatten out and the foil will right itself. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, it changes the, where you're lifting bringing part of the foil out of the water. Right. But on a flatter wing, you lose the lift. And so then all of a sudden you start falling out of the water. Right. You're not actually losing as much lift on, on a dihedral. You're losing your turn, but you're not losing the lift. Yeah. It's interesting, man. Yeah. So, um, the other day, I was on the the 220, the NL220. Okay. Um, I was doing the I was doing this the sit the cedar thing. I don't know what what everybody calls that. I like to call it the cedar. You know, where else you, you sit down on a on a rolling swell and yeah yeah the magic carpet flying yeah. go kart whatever. Um, and I breached like a flat breach, not a wingtip breach, but I was able to by the time the board got really close to the water, I completely regained lift and recovered from it. And that has never happened on any other wing either. So this thing was able to like completely come out of the, like total breach to where you normally get ruined. Of course I lost lift for, you know, a moment, but it, it knifed back into the water and recaptured lift before the board hit the water. And that kind of blew me away. Yep. I thought um, that, I thought that was, that was pretty special. It, that scared me a couple times on the 170. Sometimes I've been trying to see how high I can get the 170 in pump just for efficiency. And I've fully breached like that. And as I'm entering the water, it gains lift and shoots back up on me. I've almost had like some pretty bad falls right. that way because, you know, as soon as that happens, you're I kind of just think it. you're not expecting. It. I'm thinking like, all right, I'm just going to go over the front. I know exactly what happens here. You know, the board's going to slow down. I kind of dive off the front um, and the board usually goes away from the, you know, the way that I dive. But as I'm diving forward, all of a sudden, the foil gets all this lift. My weight's not on it anymore. And it's like hitting me in the shins and now it's out of the water coming at me. Um, right. So now I've just started riding out those. Uh, I just stay on yeah, top super of the foil. weird, but it's, I mean, if you can, yeah, I mean, if you can, if, if you get a foil that does that, like NLs, I mean, you, and you get used to it, I think we could really use it to our advantage. You know, uh, I was on the 160 the other day in the lineup. And I came, I did a, a good box turn and the, the whole wing was on the surface of the water. It was planing, you know, like a skimboard on the surface of the water. And I could feel it. And I, I had this weird, like sort of side slide effect. And then it knifed back in 
and I dropped down the face of the wave like like I'd done it a million times. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, like that's something I've never pulled off before. That's special. That's cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm happy about it so far. I'm I'm looking forward to putting more time on the water with with the NLs, but I'm I'm impressed for sure. What tail are you? It, it same tails as the 140. Yeah, yeah. So the, it's it's funny. I've made so many tails and um, tried so many things, and I keep landing on the very first tail I made, which looks like, I mean. It looks like an elementary school kid made it. It's, you know, nothing impressive as far as construction <laughs> goes, but it just works. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to go make a couple more of those with, you know, a little better construction that look a little more aesthetically pleasing for just for myself. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's 13 and a half inches. It's super simple. It's not a crazy high aspect. It, it's got a, it's got some cord on it. Um, yeah, it's just stiff and simple. I don't know. I don't yeah. know why it works so well, but it does. Um, you need to get one of Kane's new tails. I'm testing. I know the thirteen five right now, um, and I really like it. I really yeah, I was like talking it. to um, Tucker um, up in New Jersey. I think you follow him, mm -hmm. um, but he he just got one of Kane's tails, and he was riding it with the one twenty and the one forty. So it's cool that you know I could talk to him about it because we're riding similar gear. He he's like it? loving it, man. Yeah. He like, he's loving it. I'm, I'm trying to get him to explain it. And he's like, man, it's hard to explain a tale. And it is, it's hard yep. to explain a tale, but, but, uh, he's loving it for sure. So it's got yeah. more profile. It's a thicker wing than my custom, the one I made the, uh, down tips, 13, five. So it's cool because I've the two tails that I love right now are both 13 fives. I made a, I used, um, a mold from a, unifoil uh sprint race whatever they call them uh stab and then added added down tips to it and then cane's tail and the one that i made from the unifoil i actually made the section the the the, the, pro, the the thickness thinner so it's got a it's got you know less drag because of that cane's tail is a thicker tail probably by 50 percent but it seems faster to me um, and I didn't realize that the other day I took out, you know, on this good day, I, I took out my tail first. Cause I'm like, I think it's going to be faster. And I got out there and I was like, this feels kind of draggy. I'm going to go switch it up. So I put on Kane's tail. I think it was faster. Um, video though, I thought there would yeah. be a difference on video and I, I couldn't see, I couldn't see a difference on the video. Um, but it feels good. Yeah. Um, so let me tell you about this tale I'm making now. I think I, I think I've actually told you about this, but I'm gonna tell your listeners about this because I'm really stoked on this idea. And I'd love to see somebody like Kane take take this uh premise and you know put his time in. Um I'm sending you a picture of it right now, Eric, because I'm horrible of like I don't know how to explain this, so maybe you can help. Okay. But basically what I'm what my what my goal is with this tail I'm making right now is to make the attachment point of the two bolts that hold it onto the fuselage much further back in the tail so that essentially I'm taking the lifting surface of the tail wing and sliding it up on the fuselage. So you're shortening um, your fuse. With and it. I, yeah. I'm I see it. It looks good. I'm going to be able to shorten my fuse uh, for, with about an inch. Um, so like just by this tail, this tail design, I'm going to be able to shorten my fuse an inch. And that's a huge difference. Like, Oh yeah. You know, I don't know how much, people have played with the you know the different fuse lengths but 
Um, GoFoil makes a standard pedestal where you mount your tail wing and they make a short one. And going from the standard to the short was a complete game changer. Um, and, I, and I feel like I, I, I want to feel even shorter. And this, this tail wing shape is going to make it to where I can do that. So, but so I don't know how the to explain GoFoil, the shape of that thing. The GoFoil Fuse then doesn't have any like profile level changes that you have to navigate to be able to move it up. Because a lot of like the Takuma or the Unifoil, they kind of drop in where the tail goes yeah. so that to, to reduce right. drag. So, so you couldn't do that. Yeah, for sure. The original um, pedestal that GoFoil makes, like the full length one, I wouldn't be, it'd be really hard to do what I'm doing with this. But the short, the short pedestal, it's just a, it's just kind of a, a flat, slightly angle of attack um, mounting plate. So I could, it's not, I'm not going to, nothing weird is going to happen if I attach it, you know, where I'm talking about and slide it up further. It's just going to be up further. The angle of attack will still be the same. I mean, it's, I don't see why it would have any negative consequences sliding it up an inch like that. Yeah, so it looks just good. Just kind of lucky on the way GoFoil Go is doing that construction. It gives me that, how, that leeway. How wide is that tail? That's um, that's like 13 and a half. So I'm, basically that's the tail wing that I'm riding now that I really love. But mm -hmm. I just put that that like tag towards the, the trailing edge of the tail so I can mount it, um, you know, so I can push the lifting surface further up. Right on. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. That looks good. Yeah. So I thought we could do a couple fun things on this show that would help people out. I get a lot of questions um, that I don't necessarily have time to answer. I try to answer everybody who who hits me up on, you know, Instagram messages, but um, generally the answers end up being fairly short because I don't have time to write all of my thoughts. But um, I thought we could go through some basic questions and, and this would be kind of like a um, a good way to get out this platform so I can, I can push people to this when they ask the same question. So are you, are you cool with doing something like that for, I don't know, yeah, 15, man, 20 sure. minutes? Yeah. All right. Um, here we go. If you were going to start foiling now, what would, how would you coach yourself? Like if you could go back and coach Mike Pedigo from the beginning, how would you tell yourself to approach foiling and, and what to do at the beginning? Hmm. Good question. And, and don't don't uh, necessarily talk gear right away because I have a right, I want right. to get into gear the second part of this. Yeah, I think um, and and I've taught some people to foil locally and uh, with Dave Slimp, my buddy that I tow with up here, we we take people out pretty frequently. So it's been cool to see the learning curve, and we've definitely learned how to teach better. Um, I think if somebody has access to a boat or a ski learning how to fly the foil behind a boat or a ski is crucial because that just takes out all the other variables. You're not worried about catching a wave. You don't have to pump, you know, you're not doing a dock start to start, you know what I mean? you you just get pulled up on the foil and learn how to fly the wing with all the other variables, take variables taken away. I think that is, that's the best step on a bigger board, you know, that will be easy to easy to get pulled up on a little safer. Yep. You think a stand up? I think it's, yeah, I do. I think yeah, a stand up or or a big wing board is the best way to do it because that then again you're you're taking away variables. You don't have to worry about sinking the board and popping up or doing like the wakeboard start. Just big board, you're standing up on it, and the the driver, the skier, the boat slowly increases speed, and you can start. You know, I always tell people like 
try to fly the wing a few inches and then put the board back down yep. and try to fly the wing a few inches, put the board back down. You know, don't just fly up like two feet right away and feel like you're going to start doing turns because you will, you will fall, you know? Yep. So that I think is the best way at the very beginning of a start. That's, that's the way for sure. In my opinion. That's my advice too, for someone who doesn't have access to a boat, who goes out either sup or prone right away. I say for your first five waves, see if you can catch waves and keep the foil in the water. Yeah. Just learn how yeah. much pressure it takes to hold your foil down. And then once you can hold it down, then let it come up and push it back down. Um, right. I mean, that goes a long way to safety. Cause I think a lot of what happens, especially for us surfers, you get out there the first time and you think about, I mean, your waiting is so much different. I've been doing some shortboarding lately. It's so much different. It's so different. It took me a week to get back into like to learn how to shortboard again. Um, right. To, to drive off the, off the back, off the tail of your board and the whole thing. Um, but yeah, getting the wing up, pushing it down, um, and then feeling, I think the next step is just trying to like glide at a low level flight. Yep. Low level flight. Yeah. 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 So for somebody that does not have access to a boat or a ski to, you know, to fly, to learn to fly like that, if, if you were paddling straight out into the lineup with a foil, I think conditions are huge, like picking the right day. You know, it's, I think you, you started on like a head high day or something, right? It was, <laughs> yeah. The first not, time was huge. Ideal. And then yeah, not ideal. No. And then it was sub yeah. in Costa Rica, you know, like 15 second, four foot swell. I was getting just right. worked. Yeah, for sure. I, I still get worked half the time I go out on head high days because <laughs> 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 we're, because I'm not used to it. You know, we don't get that that often, but yeah. So I would say, you know, conditions are huge. Um, I would be looking for a wave that's like waist high, super mushy, you know, real soft breaking deep water wave, um, deeper water wave. And I know, I know the first time I paddled out to the lineup, even though I had, I had flown a foil several times behind a ski, I had a really hard time catching a wave for a while because I, I was, I was laying on the board where I would normally lay on a board for regular surfing, but I wasn't calculating the effect of the nose lifting that you get from the foil so every time i would catch a wave the nose would just be lifting up and i I would lose wave you know or i would just get like immediately shot up on foil and i was like oh my god what is what is going on here and finally i choked way up on the nose of the board and and that was the game changer for me and then i started actually catching waves and it went from there but um but yeah you just there's no way, especially for somebody who's spent a lot of time surfing, like they're going to get on a foil board and go for a wave where they would normally position their body. And that's not necessarily correct for a foil board because of the lifting mechanics of the foil. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Let, let's talk about prone, prone get up. So I'm coaching a couple guys right now, teaching them how to get up prone. Um, some with more experience than others on foil, but um, how do you approach it? Yeah. So. I noticed when I first when I first went out and I was learning foot placement is so is so crucial and it's worth I I think it's worth taking the extra time kind of maybe even slowing down your pop up to make sure you're you get your feet you know in a, in a good spot over the stringer or or perfectly um, you know slightly on either side of the stringer but your balance needs to be centered 
you know, and if it's because if it's not, you're going to you're going to end up going in a direction that you're not planning on going. And it's really hard to recover from that. That's when those tacos happen at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you fight it. So you start going in a direction because your foot placement was wrong and then you fight it. But it's a it's a foil. So it's not going to you know, you can fight it on a short board and the board will just flop right back over to where you wanted it. It'll flop back over to level. But on a foil, when you fight that, that's when you end up just falling towards the foil because the board's going to keep going where your weight is, you know. Um, so, yeah, slowing it down a little bit, getting a good a good foot placement. Ideally, I think you could try to get your placement of your feet where you're flying. How it happens so naturally, I haven't really kind of analyzed that in a while. But I do remember at first realizing, okay, I got to take my time and get my feet right because weird falls are happening, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> for me, it's about front foot placement. And actually, it's interesting because I've shortboarded all my life. And the way that I pop up shortboarding has always been I kind of hinge my hip, my my back foot hip out, kind of place my foot on the tail, and then shoot my front leg forward. Um, and in foiling, I've changed now to doing more of like a full pop-up where both feet are coming up at the exact same time. Um, Foot placement is incredibly important, but for me, it's much more about front foot placement. If I miss on my back foot, I'm fine. If I miss on my front foot, it's a big deal. It's a bigger deal. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why, but it's definitely, if you misplace your back foot, I feel like you're, it's, it's just not as big of a deal as misplacing your front foot. You can move your back foot really easily in foiling. It took me a long time to learn how to move my front foot. I move my front foot all the time now, but the way that I do it is almost like um, trying to remember what that dance is called. It's that like old dance where you like kind of swivel your your heels and your toes in and out and kind of like walk back on the floor. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. I kind of go about. heel toe to move my front foot. Yeah, um, like I never the, the, the side slide like you could. Just kind of crawl like crab crawl with your yeah. feet, kind of. Yeah, yeah. That that's how I move my front foot. I kind of walk it back, kind of like, you know, toes up, heel up, toes up, heel up type of deal. Yeah. Kind of slide it back and forth. Um, I think it matters because if your front foot's in the wrong position, um, the only way to replace that weight is with your hands. But if your back foot's in the wrong position, you can pick your yes. back foot up off mm-hmm. the board, and all you're going to do is just push your nose down for a second, mm-hmm. and you can buy that time. And as long as your front foot when you move your back foot, you're not, if, if your front foot is in the right place, it doesn't change direction. Um, but if you try to move your front foot, when your back foot's in the right place, you're going to either breach right away, or you're going to make a pretty serious turn that you're not ready for. Um, the other thing that I think about one of my kind of models is I get my hands exactly where I want the weight of my front foot as I'm popping Mm -hmm. up. And then I just replace that weight with my front foot. And yeah, then so I go, there's no change in, in, in waiting, really. You're just, yeah. right. There, there's no change in waiting. And then I go directly vertical on that spot as I'm popping up. So the weight gets replaced from my hands to my foot. And then there's no like, side to side as I come up. Um, I pick my line kind of off the drop. And then until I'm standing, I'm not turning necessarily. Right. So I, I just thought about something with the front foot thing that I, I haven't really thought about till you were just talking. And this makes a ton of sense to me why the front foot is so important. So when you're popping up on a wave, you're going to, there's, 
just there's going to be more front foot pressure to keep to keep the nose down like way more than you would normally put on a regular surfboard so if the front foot is placed improperly you're putting more weight on your front foot than you are on the back foot on the takeoff to keep the wing under control so that effect is going to be worse on your front foot if it's misplaced you know and then like you're saying you can't just lift your front foot up and put it over and you can your back foot so yeah that makes sense it's all about the front foot yep placement crucial all about the front foot um all right next question uh and this one i get all the time folks are looking to buy their first setup or moving from their very first like out-of-date setup to a new one and want to know about what platform and guidance on you know what to buy because let's face it foils are expensive um yeah for sure and a lot of guys we're both lucky in that we get deals on stuff or we get to test stuff or whatever it is but you know, you don't want to make a wrong decision when you're buying an $1,800 um, rig. So what advice right. would you give to someone who's looking for, um, you know, advice on, on platform to start off on? Yeah, I think it, 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 it depends on the person a little bit because I think some people, it's like they're ready to dive into this sport head first and they know they're going to be in it. Like, I remember I sold my uh, my one of my first foils, a slingshot foil, to Dave up in Jacks. Yep. Um, I can't remember his last name right now, but anyways, um, he uh, just when I was talking to him the day I was selling him the foil, I was like, oh yeah, he's gonna be deep. he's already foil brained and he's not even doing it yet. You know, like he was so deep in it. I think somebody like that could could look for the slightly higher end stuff that's still user friendly, like the Takuma. You know, that would be like a really good one for somebody who's ready to jump into the sport and, and, you know, knows they're going to be into it and stick with it for a while. I think that would be a good one to, to go after. Um, for somebody who wants to get into it, that's really trying to save the pennies. You know, I'd be looking for some used stuff. Like if you could find a used Neil pride or, um, you know, even a used slingshot or something, then that would be a good way to go. Cause those are, especially the Neil pride. I think the Neil pride is a really user friendly, beginner foil and it's still good bang for the I like buck. It. it's st- it's still a great foil man it really is and bang for the buck i think that one you know as far as the price you're paying for what you're getting that one might take the cake as far as best value goes yep. you know that's still what um, i recommend for someone who's really budget conscious the one thing that right. i will say though is that once you get on carbon mast fuse you don't want to go back to aluminum and if you've built a platform around an aluminum setup, it's almost as expensive to buy the carbon mast fuse um, as it is to just switch gear. So if you think that it's something that you're really going to be into and you're looking to where do you spend the money, I mean, the mast and, and fuse, I mean, we're going to get into variable fuse lengths and some things like that. Um, but... It's it's not like you're going to want to change your mask necessarily for conditions unless you get into like towing really big surf or something like that. So, I mean, that's what I would say is is if you're going to spend the extra money, get the carbon mast. I think it's really important. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, you're it's like you said you've said before you're you're investing in a a platform. You know, like once you take the step up to carbon, so that's what, it's like. There's two there's two things. Okay, are you the guy that's gonna go for the aluminum stuff and, you know, see if you like it and maybe upgrade in a couple in a year, or are you going to go straight to the carbon stuff? And if you're going straight to the carbon stuff, 
I think it's crucial to have, um, so like GoFoil, for instance, you know, they make a, the GoFoil Iwa is very similar in shape to the Neil Pride. So it's a really user-friendly, good beginner foil. And probably then get it used you, really cheap right now. Yeah, you probably, you probably could. But the, the cool thing is now you have the mast and the fuselage set up. So, you know, you get a little better. Well, all right, now I'm going to buy a GL140 or an NL160 or something. And you can just, boom, you don't have to replace everything else. You're just buying a front wing, you know, and, and maybe a different tail wing for it or whatever. Yep. So, yeah, you're, you're investing in a system. So yeah, that's, that's crucial. You know, maybe finding a system, like I'm saying, like GoFoil that has some, some more user-friendly beginner options, and then you can easily upgrade later without dropping all the bank, you know? Yep. Or you could probably find used lift gear now, you know, like the lift 200, like the old school lift, you could probably find that. And right. the mast is going to work when you upgrade to the, to the new stuff. Or, you know, what I like about Unifoil and Signature is that they're interchangeable. And then you get, you know, Signature is now, they have a different designer um, and Unifoil, you know, Cliffy is a legend. All of his stuff is amazing. And so if you go Unifoil or Signature for the mask, then you get access to all of that gear, which is actually really cool. Um, yeah, it's cool and it's dangerous because it's like, you know, when Alex comes out with new GoFoil stuff, I'm like, well, God, I got I to gotta have that wing too, you know? So it's like... <laughs> Once you're like super deep in it and foil brain, then it's it's a great business model these guys have making all these different front wings and, you know, they make it just easy enough to where you can kind of justify getting a new wing, but yeah, still pricey. It is. I think it's, I think though that if you have extra cash, it's the most fun thing that you can buy. You get to feel the ocean in a whole different way. I'm just so addicted to it, man. Oh yeah. I yeah. love it. But we, we all know you're, you're a foil slut. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Sarah's really happy that I'm getting access to a lot more gear that I'm not necessarily buying all of it. She's pretty stoked on that. Yeah. Um, all right. Where do we want to go from here, man? That, that was the majority of, of the questions that I get. I get, I get those questions all the time on Instagram. So now I can just point people here. So thanks for doing that with me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, that's a good that's a good question. Um, you know, I've I get asked that a lot oh, from people that are interested. And, yeah. One one more one more um, line on that thread, and that is, and I have some opinions here, but the other one is, what board should I buy? Ah, good one. Yeah, and that's a that's a. That's a tricky one too, because the board that you're that you want to start on is probably, unfortunately, not the board that you're ultimately going to want. Yep, I think, you know, um, like I the board I'm making right now, the 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 EA Pro model, you know, the four four that's eighteen and a half wide. That, that's not a good starter board, you know. Um, that's that's definitely for, uh, you know, a, a dialed in foiler, a shape like that, and especially you know with the that kind of lower volume. I started on a board, I made myself a five foot, um, board with a pretty, it was, I actually used a template from a mini Simmons. I used to make a lot of mini Simmons shapes. I don't, you know, I don't know if your viewers are familiar with that, but it's kind of like a round nose, a wide flat tail. Um, so it had plenty of surface area, plenty of volume. Um, and that's what I learned on. And then after about two months, I knew I wanted to go a little smaller and a little lighter. So I made myself another one that, and then I went down to, I went down to four or five was my next shape. 
But I think it's crucial to have something that you can paddle easily on. I mean, if you can't, if you can't catch a wave, you're not going to be, you're not going to be learning to fly a foil. So you got to have a board that's got enough volume to catch a wave with first for starting for sure. Yeah. Yep. And then you can scale down as you get better, you know, move on to carbon later, I'd say, um, because initially I don't think you're really going to be able to appreciate that, that weight difference and stiffness characteristics right off the bat. It almost, I mean, in a way, it could almost be more challenging to be on a super, super light board with no swing weight um, because the everything that you input control-wise is going to be, you know, you're going to get such immediate feedback that it's it, the responsiveness is almost going to, I can almost see it hindering somebody in the beginning. You know what I'm talking about? For sure. Yeah. I 100% agree. I started stand-up. Um, and if you already stand-up surf, I recommend starting stand-up. Um, just because it takes away the variable of popping up, which is the hardest part of prone. Uh, so For if you, sure. so if you already stand up, start on stand up. And then I do think prone is, unless there's some sort of other factor, like you have to paddle a mile out to a reef or maybe a mobility issue, something like that. I mean, stand up super fun. Like, and guys rip on standups, but I don't know. I think prone, the freedom of prone and just how you get a much the visual, the feeling, and then the visual of, of being on the smallest board is really fun because it just feels like you're flying more. Uh, so, you know, stand-up is a good way to start. The other thing I would say is if you just want to fly a little bit and you want to kind of dial in the prone pop-up, if you have an old shortboard sitting around, what yes. I did at the beginning is I took an old fish and I just dropped boxes in it. Now, I, I, you know, I have all the stuff to do this, but you could probably have a local shaper do it. Um, and yeah, I've done it on a couple. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and what I do is, you know, drop in, you know, futures boxes and just lamb like 10 sheets of glass around it. And it's not going to break, you know, you're going to get enough out of the board to where it saves you buying another board. You could probably do it for a couple hundred bucks. If you do it yourself, you could do it for, you know, 50 Agreed. bucks. Agreed. I, I think that's a great idea. I've done that on a handful of boards, um, a couple for friends that are getting into the sport. I'm like, yep. look, you're not going to want it. You're not going to stay on this but this will help you learn to fly the foil. Exactly. And let me save, let me save your viewers some, some time and money. Don't buy the foil mount thing, the sticker thing nope. that you put on the bottom of the, it's not worth it. It's not, boards are not made to support that kind of weight in, in that small amount of space. I mean, I know they spread out the area a little bit, but it's still, I mean, in the end, it's a, it's a sticker with a really hard piece of plastic. It's just not going to last. I mean, like you might be able to get a few sessions out of it, but right. And um, it's sitting on a lamb that just sits on. Yeah, it's like single four. I mean, you put yeah. it on a single four ounce lamb. I mean, it's just not gonna. It's not gonna work. Nope. If it works, it's not gonna work for long. Nope. Um. Um. You can early get... on. Early, early on, me and Dave Slim tried tried one of those, and I think by the end of the very first session, it was already peeling off. Yeah. So, um, I think those have kind of gone away, but yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it either. And then what I would say is that. You still need a quiver of boards. I ride different size boards for different conditions. And so if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a first board and you want to buy a nice board that you don't have to replace, um, start off with like a 5-0, you know, with like 37, 38 liters, because that'll still be a great board when it gets big and you need some velocity to paddle in. And, you know, just get something that's really strong. It's going to last because you'll be surfing in big waves and the likelihood goes up a little bit and, you know, 
bigger surf that you're going to break it. But, um, uh, you know, I still keep, a, I have, I have two five O's in my quiver still. Yeah. Uh, and I ride them whenever it's, you know, a couple feet overhead because they're, I mean, it's so much harder to get in on a four, four or four, two or whatever when, uh, when the surf is big. For sure. And likewise, I've got a, I've got a four O which feels really small for, you know, it feels small that number like it, you know, I'm a buck 75, four O it's like, ah, it's getting, it's getting a little tiny, but when I'm doing a shore runner that is hands down go to board because I'm spending so much time on foil. I mean, I might be on foil for a mile plus, you know, maybe 10 minutes even sometimes. So it's super important for me uh, in those types of conditions to have the lightest board, the best pumping lightest board possible. You know, I want something stiff that's short, that doesn't have a lot of swing weight. You know, I'm not, I'm not as concerned about, you know, I'll catch a wave at some point, you know, but once I'm up, that's where I want to focus the, you know, the, the type of board is for being up, you know, possibly 10 minutes. And that, that for me is shorter. Right. But you're not buying better. that board until you're really good. No, no, you're not. Right. But I, I'm just agreeing with you yeah. on the conditions. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't surf that board all the time, but when, when I'm doing a shore runner, that's my go-to because it's, it's the best at pumping, you know? Yep. No, I agree completely there. I don't think that there's a single wing or single board because of the variation of condition that you can foil in. Yeah. You know, and that's, what's beautiful about the sport, but it means you have to have more gear to be able to take advantage right. of all of it. For sure. I mean, you can make a, you can make a board work mm -hmm. in, in, in various conditions. I mean, I, you know, but if you really want the the best stuff for you, for your condition, yeah, you're just going to have to have a quiver. I mean, that's unfortunately, right. if you want the best all the time, then that means multiple boards. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Um, all right. So we're about an hour deep right now and I've got one more thing that I think would be fun to talk about. And that is let's talk about who we're currently like modeling breaking down. You know, we all follow everyone on Instagram. I assume most of the folks who are listening do who, who are you drawing from right now? And what are you drawing from, from them? You know, like I look at kind of putting together like almost like a Frankenstein type of like skill set you could build right. like the ultimate foiler what yeah. parts would you take from who and and what are you oh, emulating man. in that process right now well i just saw um kane's most recent video he dropped this morning and i watched it several times yeah me i too. think at at the moment he is probably my my biggest foiling idol um i don't know what I, it's it's hard to put my finger on what it is but the it's it's the lines he draws, the tightness of his, you know, his top turns. Yep. Um, you know, his his foot stance in this video is really close together too, which was cool. It gave it like a, you know, kind of a performancey, like stylish mid-length look. Yep. Um his 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 ears are probably burning right now. I'm just like talking him up. But man, he's it's just it's so fun to watch his surfing. And I wish he would post more. Like I I yell you know, at him all the time about that, man. Right, man. It's funny because half the time I see Kane videos of Kane surfing or foiling, it's it's on some other page, you know? And, yep. and like I I follow the hashtag foil surfing or whatever. So he'll pop up on that every once in a while and it'll be a sick video. And then I'll like later I'll be like, I want to watch that video again. And I'll go to Kane's profile and it's not there. And I'm like, damn it. 
like I can't even find that video anymore, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's hard to study someone who's so good, but he doesn't ever post any videos. And I know he's getting video clips. So Kane, post some more, post some more videos. Where I, I draw inspiration from it. We, we should all get together and hire a videographer just to follow him around. Right. Paparazzi. Yeah, he needs, he needs uh, Kai Lenny's video, guys. Right. Yeah, we need that for Kane. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's, he's kind of my, um, Kane and, um, Adam Bennett's is probably those two are my top, are my top two. Um, and they have different styles, you know, which is, it's cool. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say that I'm aiming in a super particular direction for my personal foiling. I'm, I'm really trying to force myself to stay super open-minded about the sport and the lines we can draw and what's possible on this. I find myself sometimes trying to just recreate shortboard moves on my foil, which is, which is a fun challenge. Um, but I, I, sometimes I, I remind myself, I'm like, you know, this isn't, this isn't shortboarding, this is foiling. So why am I, you know, if I focus all my efforts on trying to recreate shortboarding maneuvers, then, you know, what am I, what am I missing? Cause this is a foil, right? you know? So, yeah. I, I agree with you on, both counts there. I would say that I have been aiming towards a goal a little bit lately, and that is just smoothing everything out. I think that the beauty of a foil is the efficiency. And so I want to play into that and just kind of like, just calm everything down. Um, and it seems like being able to find the energy, I'm a big fan in, in finding free energy. Like it's oh, yeah, kind of yeah. like a life motto for me too, is just finding paths of least resistance and, um, riding, riding those waves, you know, sounds yeah. kind of weird, but sounds, sounds lazy, but I get it. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's lazy. I think it's really nuanced. I think, it, I think that there's a, there's an ability to be able to, um, like feel where things are headed and then, you know, work within, within the momentum that's already existing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's smarter, not harder. Yeah. You're, you're working with, working with the ocean, working with the available energy. Sure. And that's why, that's why foiling is so beautiful. You know, it's one of, one of the reasons. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting, like in, in shortboarding some over the last couple of weeks and the difference in speed on foil, like you can do some really radical things on a shortboard and, it, and it's super fun. Like, you know, been working on, you know, maneuvers again and all sorts of stuff, but the uh, the difference in speed is just astounding, and it's been cool to like you know do some of that like I, you know surfing at a fairly decent level again, and it's coming back to foiling like it's helping me kind of just see lines a little bit differently, and you know guys like Adam Bennett attack so much more than I do on a foil, um, and it just takes so much commitment, so much there's so much consequence in those moments like the way that he hits the foam right. Like that's, that's scary. You do it too, Mike. Like I watch you foil and I'm just like, dude, and I watch your wipeouts too. Yeah. They're <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's aggressive. Yeah. I, yeah. It, and, and that's what I'm talking about. You know, I, I, I naturally want to, you know, I've got a shortboarding background, a longboarding background, and I naturally want to do these things that I'm used to doing on a shortboard. And it's awesome when I pull them off. I do, you know, some, some sessions I go out and I'm like, you know, today I really want to focus on on ripping, you know, I want to hit more white water. I want to, I want to, you know, get a more critical pocket turn 
you know, and, and then some days I go out and I'm like, you know, I kind of want to work on something different. Like you're talking about, like smoothing it out, you know, mm-hmm. and just drawing some different lines and kind of capitalizing on the other areas of what a foil is capable of. Right. So I, I like how foil wizard can mix it up. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's a good one too, man, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got to get him on here. The lines that he's drawing in downwinds right now, I, I keep, um, I keep going back to those. Because, yeah. Super surfy, smooth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's downwind. It's not even a wave that's breaking. It's I know. He, he's yeah. riding the new uh, Takuma, the Kajara, whatever it's called. Um, and he's frothing on it. I can't wait to feel it. But the, I think the one I'm going to get to touch is the 180, which I'm a little concerned that it's going to be too small. But apparently some bigger guys have been on it and said it's got plenty of lift. It feels like the 1300. I don't know how that's possible. But um, that'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely curious about that wing, no doubt. That video they put out was pretty cool. Yeah. I'm wondering yeah. if that's going to stop ventilation. You know? Yeah. I, I think that that could be the biggest benefit of it. Maybe it has an efficiency increase, but it seems like, you know, a dihedral breaks up ventilation. It doesn't seem like it travels from one side of the wing to the other. And if that did the same thing, it would open up turns, like, hugely. Right. Yeah, I mean, my, I, I could be wrong here, but what I kind of imagine with those, I think they're called tubercles, the, yep. the little dips. And the, I mean, it, it seems like that would just kind of force laminar flow, you know, like keep the, keep the water from getting mixed up too much to, over, the, over the, the foil surface. Right. That's what I'm imagining something like that would do. Um, yeah, it might. You know, you think about like the, um, God, I'm going to space on what they're called right now, diffusers maybe, but on the back of like Formula One cars, they have little fins. Kyleni uses them on the bottom of the sports too. And it breaks up the air as it, as, uh, you know, the, the flow leaves. The, maybe the sharklets, is that what they're called? Little, little sharklets? Uh, finlets or um, yeah. fins. I, I feel like I know what you're talking about. I think, I think they call them diffusers in F1. but um, it almost seems like the opposite of that where you're, where you're kind of doing that at the front of the wing. Right. Yeah. It's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. I wonder, it would be interesting to see it under like the heat when they do the, you know, airstream testing and they put, you get the pressures because you know, the heat signature pressures over the wing. I wonder how it affects the pressures over the wing. If it increases pressure in certain, cause you know, like lift is velocity squared. So essentially, if you could channel half of the water, half of it's going slow or half of it's going faster, you would actually get a huge increase in lift because the, the half that's going faster is a, is a squared term. So it would negate any loss of lift by the slower points. Right. I just thought yeah. of that now. So like it might actually be free lift essentially, hmm. which would be why guys could ride the 980 that think that they need to be on a 1300. Right. Any math guys, shoot me a text on that. Let me know if that's anywhere near a ballpark. Um, all right, man. Well, this is good. Any uh, any closing thoughts? I know we both got stuff we got to jump into. Yeah. Um, man, I um, just want to leave people with um, the for the guys that are riding, you know, at a at a, a higher level stay open-minded, keep doing what you're doing because I'm, I'm loving it. I'm drawing inspiration from it and it's, it's pushing the sport. It's pushing gear. Um, 
just loving that aspect of it. And then I thought about something earlier for the people who are starting foiling, let's keep this, stay safe, you know, um, go to, go to lineups where, where you're not risking other people in the lineup. Let's, let's keep foiling, having a healthy name, um, as the sport grows and more and more people are getting into it. I just don't want to have like that. You know, the foiling community here has been super awesome. We're super friendly and I feel like we're all really respectful of others in the lineup. Let's keep it that way so that this sport can grow at the, at a healthy rate, you know, in, in the direction that we want it to go. Uh, so yeah, I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. I mean, absolutely in Florida, you don't need to go to a spot. I mean, in Florida, there really are no spots. There's like two spots in the whole state, but, um, <laughs> any sandbank works, you know, like stay away from people. Yeah. There's no reason to be around people. Right. Uh, especially in Florida. And if you do go to this, go to a spot, then, you know, you don't need to be sitting at the peak with everybody else. I mean, you can hang off on the shoulder a little bit and right. um, just, just being respectful, you know, and, and I just you don't have... want to run into any roadblocks as the sport grows here. I'm so stoked on it. I want it to, you know, I want it to stay. I want more people to get into it, but I want it to stay healthy and, and, you know, for foilers to be respectful. Yeah. Yep. No, a hundred, hundred percent agree. Um, guys, Mike is a master shaper. I think he's doing the best glassing. I might, I might debate some points on shaping a little bit with you, but as far as glassing goes, you're the best guy, best boards I've ridden, especially with the new tech that you're doing right now. Strength to weight, zero flex, super light, bulletproof. I'm hard on boards. I'm throwing them in the back of trucks and, um, you know, I'm a couple months in now, a month and a half in on that last shape. There's not a mark on it, bro. It's That's amazing. Awesome. So hit like up, it. hit up Mike at, at flyline underscore productions. If you want a board, um, you will not regret it. They're amazing. All his boxes are perfect. He actually stole one of my old foils to make a jig so that everything sits hundred percent perfect. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, hit up Mike and I'm sure he'd be stoked to make you a board. Yeah. And, um, oh, last thought, Mike, at some point we need to do a foil video. The sport needs it at this point. Oh man, I have, I've been thinking about that for over a year now. And, uh, you know, video has been one of my, I've, I've done a lot of like, you know, pretty legitimate video work over the last 10 years or so. And this is definitely on my radar. So, um, yeah, yep. but I need, I need you to be back in town before we can go after, you know, solid quality footage, man. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'll be back for the winter. That, that was plan yeah. is just finalized. So we'll be back mid November. Let's for- start the foil film mid November then. Let's do it. Um, yeah. Just got to figure out, we need to find some filmmakers around the country that can film some other guys and then send clips. Yeah. Uh, that's So if you guys, if there's anyone out there who is a videographer, Hawaii, California, Australia, and want to be a part of this project, let's just say it right now. Let's just do it. Um, yeah. Maybe we can do like, since no one can travel right now, let's just do kind of like a crowdsourced foil video get the yeah, get some good footage send me the stuff we'll put i'll put it together in a in a, a fun way yeah that would be fun yeah, i'd love that maybe figure out some like interview questions and like kind of do like a docu thing or whatever It'd be cool yeah yeah what would be, would be best is if kane would send me some videos then i would actually be able to watch him surf more this is how we get <laughs> kane to send videos we have yeah, to do is- a fake movie project Yes, this is what we need. Then I can then I can have it on my computer and I can slow it down and analyze it. Yeah, this is ideal. <laughs> That's why he's not sending anything out anymore. Right? He's going to be like years ahead. He's just releasing yeah. clips from like two years ago right now, I bet. Yeah. 
or he puts them on Snapchat and they disappear in 10 seconds or something. You never see it again. Yeah. (laughs) Right on, man. Mike, thanks for spending the time this morning. Yeah, for sure, man. It's been fun.